Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode number 96 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's quirky history, because to us, everyone who dons the orange and blue is in some way unformidable. And it's almost autumn in New York, September, where people are actually back in their offices at times, people are back in school, and school season always puts me in mind of the only met, or the only met I'm aware of, to have attended my alma mater of Fordham. Sure, Frankie Frisch is the Fordham Flash, but for a generation of us, the Fordham athlete, to make it the furthest and make us the proudest with our own Fordham Flash, at least insofar as flashing a impressive fastball, the one and only Pete Harnish. Peter Thomas Harnish was born September 23, 1966, in Comac, New York. He grew up out there as a Yankee fan, I read, unfortunately. Boo to that. 
but he was a late bloomer athletically, uh, someone who didn't think at first he had a future in baseball uh, on the JV team as a 10th grader and was just a reliever uh, during his junior year at Comac High School. It wasn't until an injury occurred to one of the starters there that he was given an opportunity to start in high school, and he was planning on going to a Division II college until approached by then-Fordham coach Dave Gallagher. So instead of heading down to Division II in Florida, Harnish fatefully went to the boogie down to continue his education and his athletic career. You're not just going to coast as an athlete at Fordham, at least I don't think so. We're really not known for our athletics. Uh, so Harnish studied accounting at college, but was a rare breed at the school, with a, at a school uh, that has a field named after one of the most iconic people in sports history, Vince Lombardi. Um, and perhaps it is telling that Vince Lombardi and Vince Scully, non, who didn't really make their name as athletes, are the most known, notable sports names associated with old FU. But at any rate, Harnish turned into that rare breed a, at Fordham, a star athlete and All-American. Under the tutelage of Fordham pitching coach and former Met, Mike Brewert, well, that might need to be uh, unformidable now that I think about it. But uh, Harnish's velocity increased during its college years from 85 or the mid, you know, mid to upper 80s to 95, and he became that rare Fordham professional prospect, compiling a 21 and 3 record at college, sporting a 2.29 ERA, and more than one strikeout per innings pitched. Much like the great David Wright, Harnish was a supplemental first-round pick the 27th overall for the Baltimore Orioles in the 1987 MLB draft, which was an epic draft. Just looking at the results, uh, someone where Ken Griffey Jr. went first overall on some other big names or notable major leaguers who went before Harnish included Kevin Apier, Delino DeShields, Jack McDowell, and most notably another Hall of Famer, Craig Biggio, who went about five picks before Harnish. Three picks before Harnish, the Mets passed up the hometown kid for Chris Donalds, who amounted to little, as I recall, and again could be another unformidable, at pick number 24. Perhaps this would be a very different story if the Mets uh, just tabbed the local product in the draft. Uh, Harnish was rushed through the minors. Uh, the 1988 Orioles team very famously started the season a record-setting 0-21, and and the franchise was desperate for anything positive for their fans, uh, so they rushed their number one pick through the minors. He was pitching very well in the minors, so it wasn't entirely undeserved, uh, but he got a September call-up in 1988 at the age of 21, just 10 days short of his 22nd birthday. At 21, Harnish perhaps wasn't quite polished enough for the majors, and clearly did not have the best of teams behind him as they had started the season, as mentioned, 0-21. Uh, but he was game, pitched uh, two decent games, although he went 0-2. Uh, the first batter he would face in the majors would be future Hall of Famer Wade Boggs at leading off a game at Henway Park, Fenway Park, who walked in a very Boggsian eight-pitch at-bat. Harnish would get through his first inning unscathed, striking out Dwight Evans for his first major league strikeout, but in the middle of the game would surrender a grand slam to another future Hall of Famer, Jim Rice. Uh, he would go seven, but uh, yield five runs and get tagged with the loss. Harnish's second career start would only come just minutes from where he graduated college uh, a couple of years before in the boogie-down Bronx. 
late September of 88, he would take the mound at old Yankee Stadium, or Yankee Stadium 2, I guess. Uh, he would technically spin a quality start, uh, but did struggle, surrendering seven hits, six walks, and three earned runs over six innings, losing in his first homecoming 3-2 to two, to the Yankees. He'd have to wait until the middle of 89 to get his first career win in his sixth career start. He did start 89 in the minors, uh, came back up in July, and on July 17, 1989, at Old Memorial Stadium in Baltimore, Harnish bested the Seattle Mariners 8-4. to He took an 8-2 lead into the ninth inning and tried to close it out, uh, but tired in that ninth, surrendered a single and a home run coming out after eight and a third innings as the bullpen would close out his first career victory. And he would, uh, you know, he's better than that, but definitely was quite the innings eater. Uh, 25 career complete games uh, over the entirety of his career. I know they weren't quite the anomaly they were, they are now, but they were getting a little rarer. Uh, and Harnish definitely, when healthy, would take the ball and give you a good gutty outing at minimum. But he would uh, start to develop and show the promise he showed in college. He went 11-11 11 and 11 in 1990 at age 23. But after that brutal 1988 season and that horrible start, the Orioles made an incredible rebound in 89, uh, pushing the Toronto Blue Jays for the pennant till the last weekend of the season. Uh, then they regressed a bit in 1990. Uh, so in the offseason, they made a fateful decision to try and remain in contention. As Harnish was involved in what could be considered one of the worst trades in history. And it didn't even involve the Mets. Don't worry, folks. On January 10th, 1991, Harnish was traded by the Baltimore Orioles with fellow young players Steve Finley and Kurt Schilling to the Houston Astros for Glenn Davis. Davis was, of course, a notable power-hitting first baseman. He was a terror on the 86 Houston Astros, the runner-up in the MVP that year, MVP voting. They weren't quite the Cardinals with a bunch of rabbits and Jack Clark, but he was really the one threatening bat. And in fact, his home run was the only run in the Mets uh, game one NLCS lost uh, Doc Gooden versus Mike Scott. But Davis was a plotting first baseman approaching 30. And uh, you know, we know now, according to our sabermetric friends and more history, those are not the players that necessarily age the best. He would put up less than, basically be a replacement level player, put up about one war over three seasons for the Orioles as he injuries uh, and just kind of his playing style and body wore down. And he'd be out of the game or retired or wouldn't play anymore in the majors after 32, age, age of 32, a few years later. Meanwhile, Steve Finley put up uh, over 44 war over his career, had kind of, I feel like, a quintessential hall of very good, quote-unquote, type career. Not a hall of famer, but a really good player for a number of years. And um, if, you know, if you don't believe that, I mean, looking at some of the players and his similarity scores, there was uh, Bernie Williams, Bobby Abreu. Schilling, of course, put up close to 80 war uh, and really did have a Hall of Fame career and what would have been a Hall of Fame career if he just wasn't such an asshole. I mean, probably not a topic for outside this podcast, but I feel like he probably should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, I, you know, I find it weird that the people who think the steroid people should be in think, you know, people with hateful politics should be out and people who think Schilling and 
players like that who are personally offensive should be out, think the steroid guys should be in. It's just weird. But on the field, Schilling was a Hall of Famer, and you know, even though Harnish would hurt the least in the you know realm of hindsight, you know, he they, he might have been as big or bigger a prospect than the other two, uh, but. You know, he would still amass close to 20 war for his career, meaning for a future value of 140 war, the Orioles got three replacement level or worse years of Glenn Davis. But a terrible trade for Baltimore was very good for Pete Harnish, as he finally had a chance to blossom. Uh, in Houston, he finally turned around. I mean, again, he, he was developing. He was 23. I wouldn't say he looked like a bust. But in 1991, he really broke out, uh, had the only all-star appearance of his career, and... Uh, for by advanced metrics, had the best uh, best season of his career, throwing 216 and two thirds innings with a 2.70 ERA, um, and he was decent for the Astros again in '92 and very good again in '93. Uh, better traditional numbers, a 16 and nine one loss record, a pair of complete game one hitters, including a 10 strikeout gem against the Cubs on July 10th of 1993 in which a Mark Grace single in the seventh broke up Harnish's no-hit bid. His other one, late in the season in September against the Padres, it's broken up in the top of the sixth by Jarvis Brown on either a just an infield single or a bunch single. Uh, the baseball reference line score just says single to pitcher, ground ball to pitcher's right. Uh, so that's really got a sting that close to a no-hitter. In 94, the first year with uh, you know three divisions and a wild card, the Astros were uh, looking really good. They were neck and neck with the Reds for the NL Central, uh, neck and neck for the Braves, for it would have been the sole wild card back then as the Expos were famously running away with the division and got cheated. Oh, not running away, but had a strong lead and got cheated out of their uh, playoff, their best shot perhaps at a world title, um, but. You know, Biggio and Bagwell had developed. Bagwell was like a triple crown contender that year. Uh, But Harnish struggled in 94 and struggled with injuries. And then, of course, the strike hit, costing us the rest of the the year and the World Series, fatefully, in 94. Having trouble remembering the specifics of what was allowed and what was not allowed in player movement that offseason. But the Astros basically, from what I remember, traded Harnish's rights to the Mets. Uh, even, I don't know if Harnish, you know, maybe it was unclear whether someone, whether he would qualify for free agency or not, depending on the uh, agreement signed. But I know the Astros had given Bagwell a huge contract extension, and um, I remember traded Harnish's rights to the Mets for a minor leaguer, which gave the Mets exclusive rights to negotiate with Harnish during that offseason, and they signed him to a three-year, $9 million contract uh, to kind of... Uh, basically, they were hoping, uh, the Mets were hoping, uh, they closed 94 decently. They were 55 and 58 in the strike-shortened year, well short of the Expos and the Braves. Uh, but Generation K was supposedly on the cusp. Uh, I think they were hoping you know, that an era of very bad baseball was going to come to an end. That would actually take a couple more seasons, unfortunately, as Harnish's years with the Mets would not be great years for him or for the franchise. Uh, but the idea was that Brett Saberhagen and Pete Harnish would be the veteran aces who would stabilize and mentor the young and upcoming Generation K. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The trade, of course, was you know seen as a huge boon at the time. Uh, papers like the New York Times that headlines about Harnish will feel right at home as you know bringing back a local player always engender often more often than not engenders goodwill. Unfortunately, it'd be anything but that. It would not be a happy marriage for Pete Harnish and the Mets. Harnish would actually pitch well over his first four starts, getting four no decisions. Uh, in four games, the Mets would ultimately go on to win, uh, but his ERA after four starts was 1.73 uh, over 14, 20, 26 innings pitched. Uh, so very strong start. Uh, then he would actually lose his uh, next two games, including getting a lit up. Uh, by the Phillies on May 20th, uh, two and a third innings, nine runs. So uh, from the one-loss perspective, he was 0-2 with the Mets before he would get his first win as a Met on May 30th of 1995 at Shea against the Padres. Uh, Harnish went eight scoreless innings, allowing only four hits, striking out eight, walking two, uh, providing exactly what the Mets hoped he would in getting his first win in orange and blue. Harnish would uh, wind up only going 2-8 and eight that year. He would pitch consistently, uh, start consistently for the Mets through August. Um, generally, his good games, you know, would, would end in no decisions. His poorer games would end in losses. It was not a good team, and particularly not a good offensive team. And, you know, they would in, import uh, Gilkey and Lance Johnson the following year, and Todd Hundley would have a great year. But, um but he did have a 3.68 ERA, so did not pitch terribly, but, you know, back then, especially judged much more by wins and losses, and 2-8 and eight is not what you wanted. Then in August, a torn labrum would end Harnish's 95 season. And, you know, just to boot, Harnish pitched worse in 96 to a 4.21 ERA, uh, but was 8-12 and 12 in the only season with the Mets where he did what was most expected of him and pretty much took the ball, you know, 31 starts, managed to avoid injury and provide a consistent uh, arm, a consistent starter uh, every five days through the rotation. 1997 would be Harnish's fateful final season with the Mets. Uh, the veteran would actually take the ball on opening day for the Mets in San Diego at Qualcomm Park. The Mets would uh, jump out to a 4 nothing lead, and Harnish would throw the first five innings scoreless. Uh, then leading off the sixth, Chris Gomez, Ricky Henderson, and 
former Met and another potential podcast candidate, I think, Quilvio Veras, uh, took him back to back to back, ending his day early. Uh, the Mets bullpen would absolutely implode, and they would lose that opening day game 12-5. to It would actually be Harnish's last appearance for the Mets until August of that year. In spring training of 97, Harnish had quit tr- chewing tobacco, and he struggled with a loss of sleep and loss of appetite over it, and eventually got uh, diagnosed with depression and uh, had to deal with fallout from that and then you know rehab and get back into pitching shape, which means the Mets wouldn't see him again until August. Honestly, those are my two lasting memories of Harnish's time with the Mets, is uh, that and his battles with Bobby Valentine, who I always loved, but uh, didn't see him entirely sympathetic to Harnish's plight, or at least... Uh, you know, no, never directly said that, but obviously didn't see him happy with Harnish when he came back, that he wouldn't work on Valentine's pitching plan and whatnot. So unfortunately, the two lasting memories of Harnish with the Mets for me are two brawls, which are uh, one from a 1996 game against the Cubs that I'll recount in a moment, and a, the second on the way out the door with Bobby Valentine um, as they exchanged words when Harnish was designated for assignment uh, after he struggled in three starts and some bullpen stints in after his return from depression and from rehabilitation in 1997. The other game was May 11th, 1996 against the Cubs. It was John Franco Day as... John Franco had just, uh, I think, recorded his 300th career save, so the Mets were having a day to honor him because we really had nothing else to celebrate in the mid-90s but a middling, overrated reliever uh, and his saves. But in that game against the Cubs, uh, there was a little, there was a couple of brushbacks or hit patters. I think Todd Hunley got hit in the first inning, uh, and Harnish retaliated, which the Cubs thought was unfair, and uh, you know that. Hunley was not hit intentionally, uh, so the Cubs reliever in the fifth inning threw behind Harnish, uh, who started exchanging words, and then exchanging words with the Cubs catcher, Scott Service, who I just learned in an article researching this, uh, was actually good friends with Harnish uh, from the minors, uh, but that didn't stop Harnish from taking a swing at Service, and a huge brawl broke out, not your standard baseball players milling around, uh, punches thrown, uh, eight or nine, a 16-minute brawl, according to this article, nine players ejected, including John Franco, uh, who got ejected from the game on John Franco Day. It was an entertaining game that I remember watching on TV, and uh, there's a great article about it, actually from the Seattle Times, because Service and Harnish uh, reunited as coaches in the Mariners organization after their careers, and yeah wild, but actually a happier brawl. Uh, again, not, not a physical brawl with Valentine, but uh, just some ugly war of words. When uh, Harnish was released in 1997, Harnish called Valentine, quote, a very low-grade person and accused him of speaking with a, quote, forked tongue uh, upon his release from the Mets. And, you know, according to the paper tabloids, the two did get into a heated exchange at the hotel uh, where the team was on the road uh, when Harnish was released. Harnish latched on with the Brewers for the end of the 97 season and did get three starts, went 1-1 one and one with a 5.14 ERA, so over only 10 appearances and eight starts in 97, uh, he went 1-2 and two with a 7.03 ERA. Uh, so his career looked like it was at its nadir, and you could be forgiven if maybe you 
uh, you know, thought you'd seen the last of Pete Harnish, but he bounced back with a vengeance for the Cincinnati Reds in 1998 and 1999, having his two best seasons since uh, being in Houston. And, you know, really, as too often seems to be the case for Met fans, you know, just seems like the one <laughs> pit of his career were those years he spent in New York. Hopefully those days are behind us now in the glorious Cohen era. Harnish bounced back in 1998 to the tune of a 14-7 and record and a 3.14 ERA. Uh, it was a 4.13 FIP, but still, those were the those are peak steroid years. I mean, that's a that's an impressive ERA in those seasons. And for the first time in his career, he probably was kind of well. Again, maybe 97 with the Mets, he got the opening day start, but he was really kind of the ace of uh, those Reds teams, and including a 99 team that. Uh, just famously just missed the playoffs, and in fact, the greatest impact Harnish had on the New York Mets was probably his excellent pitching down the stretch as the Mets and the Reds were involved in a wild, wild card race. And actually, the Reds were pretty tight with the Houston Astros uh, for the division in 99 as well. But Harnish was particularly good down the stretch for the Reds in 1998. On September 28th of 1999, he outdueled Jose Lima, who had already won his 20th game and has already had his glorious spot featured on this podcast uh, in a 4-1 Reds win that actually put the Reds a game, I think it broke a, t- a first-place tie between the two teams in which much have been an epic pennant race-fueled uh, intense game. Uh, the Reds won 4-1, Harnish went eight innings, surrendering only four hits, a run, and striking out four, uh, putting the Reds on the cusp of a division championship. Of course, only a couple of years after the Harnish Valentine, uh, you know, dust up, and these, you know, the Mets and the Braves, the Reds and the Astros, uh, were all, you know, one of these teams was going to get eliminated from the playoffs. These were all like high 90s wins teams. Though as the Braves finally ran away with the division from the Mets, it was clear that one of the Mets, Astros, and Reds were going to miss the playoffs. So the Post was covering all these games closely, and after that September 28th game, Harnish told the Post, well, I never pitched in a big game with the Mets. We didn't have any. Uh, beyond that, he said he wouldn't offer any more thoughts on his days with Bobby Valentine, saying, quote, I'll take the high road. At the time, the Reds were two and a half games up on the wild card, one up on the Astros. Mets had just come off a seven-game losing streak, looked like they were going to, dare I say, choke away a playoff spot. Uh, but they righted the ship. Uh, they won their last three against the Pirates very famously, uh, and the Reds needed a win on the last day of the season to avoid giving the Mets the wild card spot in the last game of the season. And it was Harnish who would take the hill again if... Uh, you know, if the previous game had been the biggest of his career to this point, this one had to be even bigger. Uh, Harnish would answer the bell again, going five and two-thirds scoreless innings against Milwaukee, uh, helping them Reds win game 162, uh, get their 96 and 66 record, and, uh, you know, clinch a tie for the wild card with the New York Mets, who had won earlier. And I remember scoreboard watching at Shea during that, when the, the Mets had beaten the Pirates in a very tense game, very famously tense game. Uh, they they won on a walk-off wild pitch in the ninth. Uh, the game had started at one, uh, but the Reds, I think, had already jumped out to a 5 nothing lead uh, against the Brewers early, so it was very clear 
uh, the Mets needed to win or they were going to be eliminated as Harnish handled his business. But that, of course, meant that the Reds' ace was not available for Game 163, and Al Leiter shut out the Reds on two hits and outdueled Steve Paris, uh, who got the start instead of Harnish, as Harnish's last best shot at a postseason appearance uh, went away. He would pitch two more years for the Reds in 2000 and 2001, but injuries would take his toll, and it would wrap up Harnish's major league career. He'd throw his last pitch uh, at the age of 34 in 2001 season. All his time with the Mets, obviously, was not the best or happiest or most productive of his career. In an interview with the Comac paper after his career, he spoke glowingly of some teammates, including Ray Ordonez, who he talked about how he could make some plays that made you go wow, and was really a throwback to Ozzie Smith as uh, Harnish put it. He also mentioned Edgardo Alfonso as, quote, one of my top five favorite teammates. I mean, who can blame him for that, right? Uh, Just a great player who could do everything, hit behind runners, hit with two strikes, get a big hit when you needed, played a great second base, could also play a shortstop or third if you needed. As mentioned earlier, Harnish stayed involved in baseball, working as a pitching instructor for the Seattle Mariners. Uh, I, I believe his son Jack went to Fordham and played infield there as well. For his career, Harnish had 111 and 103 one-loss record with a 3.89 ERA. He threw almost 2,000 major league innings, 1,959, walking 716, striking out 1,638. He made 318 career starts and only three appearances out of the bullpen. Uh, I believe one for the Orioles in his rookie year and two uh, fatefully uh, for Valentine in 1987 uh, when he was no longer uh, coming out of the pen and when he's working back from his difficulties. Sad that it didn't happen with the Mets, but happily he did uh, make his way back from those injuries and mental health problems and have a couple of good seasons in Cincinnati. That did not deter the Mets from making the playoffs. He also had, uh, as mentioned, 25 career complete games, 14, uh, 11 shutouts. In fact, the one black ink, so to speak, on his baseball card, he led the league in shutouts in 1993 with four, including those two one-hitters. As Amit had noted, that was the lowest part of Harnish's career, 10-21 and 21, uh, with a 4.33 ERA. Um, I guess he wasn't fantastic with Baltimore as well, but great stints with Houston and Cincinnati, uh, allowing him to, as I mentioned before, his career war, according to baseball reference, was 17 point, a, a solid 17.9. Uh, with the Mets, unfortunately, that would be just 0.6 war over three seasons, parts of three seasons. Some similar pitchers, according to Baseball Reference Similarity Scores, including Mike Witt, uh, Ken Hill, Annabelle Sanchez, Giovanni Gallardo, Mike Krukow. Some interesting names there, especially for people who remember the 80s and 90s. A truly impressive career uh, would have been A much nicer story for us in New York if the happier times were in New York, but that's sometimes what makes the Mets the Mets, uh, these quirky and unformidable stories. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on all your socials, and look for this and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go Mets!